Thither did such of the enemy as had any pity convey those to whom they had given quarter, lest any less mercifully disposed might fall upon them. And indeed, when even those murderers who everywhere else showed themselves pitiless came to these spots where that was forbidden which the license of war permitted in every other place, their furious rage for slaughter was bridled, and their eagerness to take prisoners was quenched. Thus escaped multitudes who now reproach the Christian religion, and impute to Christ the ills that have befallen their city. But the preservation of their own life, a boon which they owe to the respect entertained for Christ by the barbarians, they attribute not to our Christ, but to their own good luck. They ought rather, had they any right perceptions, to attribute the severities and hardships inflicted by their enemies to that divine providence which is wont to reform the depraved manners of men by chastisement, and which exercises with similar afflictions the righteous and praiseworthy, either translating them, when they've passed through the trial, to a better world, or detaining them still on earth for ulterior purposes. And they ought to attribute it to the spirit of these Christian times, that contrary to the custom of war, these bloodthirsty barbarians spared them, and spared them for Christ's sake, whether this mercy was actually shown in promiscuous places, or in those places specially dedicated to Christ's name, and of which the very largest were selected to sanctuaries. That full scope might thus be given to the expansive compassion which desired that a large multitude might find shelter there. Therefore ought they to give God thanks, and with sincere confession flee for refuge to his name, that so they may escape the punishment of eternal fire. They who with lying lips took upon them this name, that they might escape the punishment of present destruction. For of those whom you see insolently and shamelessly insulting the servants of Christ, there are numbers who wouldn't have escaped that destruction and slaughter, had they not pretended that they themselves were Christ's servants. Yet now, in ungrateful pride and almost impious madness, and at the risk of being punished in everlasting darkness, they perversely oppose that name under which they fraudulently protected themselves for the sake of enjoying the light of this brief life. Second, that it is quite contrary to the usage of war that the victors should spare the vanquished for the sake of their gods. There are histories of numberless wars, both before the building of Rome and since its rise and the extension of its dominion. Let these be read, and let one instance be cited in which when a city had been taken by foreigners, the victors spared those who were found to have fled for sanctuary to the temples of their gods. Or one instance in which a barbarian general gave orders that none should be put to the sword who had been found in this or that temple. Didn't Aeneas see dying Priam at the shrine, staining the hearth he made divine? Didn't Diomedes and Ulysses drag with red hands the sentry slain, her fateful image from your fane, her chaste locks touch and stain with gore the virgin coronel she wore? Neither is that true which follows, that thenceforth the tide of fortune changed, and Greece grew weak. For after this they conquered and destroyed Troy with fire and sword. After this they beheaded Priam as he fled to the altars. Neither did Troy perish because it lost Minerva, for what had Minerva herself first lost that she should perish? Her guards, perhaps. No doubt, just her guards, for as soon as they were slain she could be stolen. It wasn't, in fact, the men who were preserved by the image, but the image by the men. How then was she invoked to defend the city and the citizens, she who couldn't defend her own defenders? Third, 
that the Romans didn't show their usual sagacity when they trusted that they would be benefited by the gods who had been unable to defend Troy. And these be the gods to whose protecting care the Romans were delighted to entrust their city. No too, too piteous mistake. And they're enraged at us when we speak thus about their gods, though so far from being enraged at their own writers, they part with money to learn what they say. And indeed, the very teachers of these authors are reckoned worthy of a salary from the public purse and of other honours. There's Virgil, who's read by boys, in order that this great poet, this most famous and approved of all poets, may impregnate their virgin minds, and may not readily be forgotten by them, according to that saying of Horace, the fresh cask long keeps its first tang. Well, in this Virgil, I say, Juno is introduced as hostile to the Trojans, and stirring up Aeolus, the king of the winds, against them, in the words, A race I hate now ploughs the sea, transporting Troy to...